This is the Capital Literature Podcast, bringing you investment letters and audio. The Capital Literature Podcast is a SEBITS capital service for the investment community. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. All rights belong to the respective owners. Cedar Creek Partners, Second Quarter, 2021. July 20, 2021. Dear Partners and Friends, While much of the world was still facing the effects of the coronavirus, the vaccine rollout in the U.S. progressed rapidly in the first half of 2021, allowing for some signs of a return to normalcy. The successful rollout combined with the federal government providing massive fiscal stimulus and the Fed being an aggressive buyer of securities, it is no surprise that the stock market did well. After the surprising outperformance in Q1 by smaller companies, and especially microcap companies, the market reverted back to recent trends with the NASDAQ and SNAPOS, P500 outperforming in Q2. The NASDAQ was up 9.5% in the quarter, while the S&P 500, SPY, rose by 8.4%. The Russell microcap lagged behind, while still returning a very respectable 4.1%. The fund returned 8.6% in Q2 and 30.0% for the first half of 2021, net of fees and expenses. $100,000 invested in the fund at inception in January 2006 would have grown to $816,186 as of June 30, 2021, net of fees and expenses, whereas $100,000 invested in the indexes we compare against would have only grown to between $354,230 in the Russell Micro Cap and $625,969 in the NASDAQ. Fund holdings are at incredibly attractive prices. On the whole, as of June 30 the fund's holdings were trading at under 13 times our estimate of earnings for the coming year, and less than 8 times earnings net of cash at the respective businesses. Weighted price to book was 1.3. Dividend yield was 1.6%. Subsequent activity in the third quarter has resulted in the fund's holdings trading at under 11 times our estimate of earnings and less than 6 times earnings net of cash at the respective businesses. Weighted return on equity as of June 30th was 10.4%, as of the date of this letter it is projected to be 13.3%. We believe these to be very attractive levels, particularly in light of the fact that roughly 20% of the fund, for example Pendrel, PCOA, and Cure Holdings, CCUR, are deep value, where the thesis is not based on current earnings, but rather unlocking a balance sheet value. The roughly 20% includes modest positions in a couple of SPACs, Calicity, Colu, and Yellowstone Acquisition Company, ISACU, that have no expected earnings until they complete an acquisition, assuming they do. Cash Levels and Fund Repositioning We started the quarter with cash levels at 13% and ended the quarter at just under 10%. We had a lot of activity in the quarter. We exited our positions in Alpine Banks, Alpib, Beaver Coal Company, Verse, Propel Media, PROM, B. Riley, RILY, and Retractable Technologies, RVP. While we had not soured on Beaver Coal, we found the issues of dealing with a limited partnership not worth the headache administratively in terms of getting our K-1s to investors in a timely manner. We had profiled Propel Media, PROM, in our 2021st quarter letter. Our cost basis was 13 cents per share. It was a speculative position, sized at 1.5% of the fund. It was cheap in relation to 2018 earnings, but the business was experiencing some challenges. When one buys a speculative position, it is easy to envision a possible 5 or 10x outcome. The hard part with speculative plays is the risk-reward shifts as the price rises, 
unless the underlying business has improved as well. In the case of Propel we were completely in the dark as to recent business performance, since they quit publishing financial results at the end of 2019, when earnings were 4 cents per share, down more than 50% from 2018. As the share price rose in May from 10 cents to 20 cents per share, we decided to trim a bit. The price kept rising and we sold out at 29 cents, earning a nice gain in just over a year. The stock subsequently went to 60 cents but on very light volume, less than what we owned. It will be interesting to see if we blundered by selling cheap, or if the stock trends back down. The old adage is you never go broke taking profits which is true, but of course you never get big gains that way either. The whole point of a speculative position is speculation after all. The problem is that as it grows it becomes a much bigger portion of the portfolio. Essentially too big for a speculative position. The choice then becomes whether to do nothing and risk losing gains, trim the position size back down by selling some, or taking gains and moving on. If anyone knows the correct answer beforehand, please let us know. Late in the second quarter we purchased a common stock and warrant position in 1847 Gedeker, GOED. We sold the common stock before quarter end and the warrants early in the current quarter. 1847 Gedeker is an interesting story. The company came public in 2020. It was a small unprofitable online appliance retailer. Revenues were around $50 million. In the fall of 2020, they announced a deal to buy Appliance Connection, a much larger, rapidly growing, profitable e-commerce appliance retailer for roughly $200 million, or 10 times its 2020 untaxed earnings. 1847 Gedeker stock steadily climbed. In the first quarter the price ranged from roughly $8 to $11 per share. Appliance Connection which had earned $20 million in 2020, earned over $19.5 million in the first quarter of 2021 versus $3.9 million in the first quarter of 2020. The problem was Gedeker did not have the cash or apparently borrowing capacity to make the purchase and they had a deadline to meet in order to close. When they finally came to market to raise the equity the buyers stuck it to them. On May 27 the stock closed at $6.07 per share. The offering price that night at just $2.25 per share plus one warrant for each share exercisable at $2.25 per share. On May 28 the stock opened at $1.87 per share. This is where a few value players jumped in. With now roughly 100 million shares outstanding and an expected run rate of approximately $50 million in earnings, shares were priced at under four times earnings. We were unconvinced on the long-term prospects of the business. Do most people really want to purchase appliances online? We certainly had concerns about the ability of management after it botched the secondary offering. On the other hand, we did see a company that had been experiencing significant growth trading at a single-digit price to earnings multiple. Yet, we also recognized that the warrants were a massive overhang for the stock. Astute investors knew that upside was partially limited since fully diluted shares were nearly 200 million instead of 100 million, even if the company would receive $2.25 per share in cash for each of the warrants. We started buying at around $2.50 per share, but the stock started running so in the end it was a small position and we sold at $4.10 to $4.30 per share, after what we felt was disappointing growth. Sales were still increasing rapidly but orders were slowing. The sales growth was due to decreased cancellations, or higher fulfillment rates to use their terminology. For example, first quarter orders were 72,600 while second quarter were 73,200. That is sequential growth of less than 1%. With this type of investment, it does not take much for us to get spooked and run for the exits, which we did. While we focus primarily on the long term we are always willing to take advantage of what we believe are short-term mispricings. 
it does result in short-term gains, but short-term gains, and the associated tax consequences for investors, are better than no gains. Mortgage Oil Company We added one new position, Mortgage Oil Company, MGAG. It is an extremely illiquid company. We have followed the company for more than 15 years. Mortgage Oil once went over 9 years without a single published trade. That takes a liquid to a whole new level. The company is small. Aren't they all in this fund? It only has 40,915 shares outstanding. Current bid is $299.75 per share and ask is $499.99 per share. It was listed in old Walker's Manual books. Footnote. I worked for Walker's Manuals from 2004 to 2005 so I have spent a fair amount of time looking at nearly every stock they covered between 1996 and 2005.End Despite the name, Mortgage Oil does not invest in oil or mortgages, although they do invest in real estate. They participate in projects by Knowles and to a lesser degree, commercial projects by Marcus Adams. Knowles focuses on apartments. Mortgage Oil has 1-5% interests in roughly 30 apartment complexes located primarily in growing markets, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Utah, Texas, Georgia, and Washington. One day in May we noticed shares for sale at $275 per share. We purchased them. Then another share block was available, which we bought, and then another. We ended up purchasing 697 shares, or 1.7% of the company in about an hour. Despite that, it is still a small position for the fund. Mortgage oil is not a right, or real estate investment trust. It is taxed as a corporation. They publish annual financials, and just last week published quarterly financials as well. They follow tax basis accounting and not GAAP. Reported revenues do not reveal all the cash flow that the company is receiving from the properties, so an analyst must make some adjustments. One big challenge is trying to know, or maybe I should say, guess whether the distributions are from operations or a refinancing, or in the case of 2020 results, partial sales of ownership. Regardless, based on our $275 per share purchase price we were getting over a 4.3% yield that has historically increased every 2-3 to three years. The dividend is twice what it was in 2014 and 2015 and six times what it was in 2000. From 2015 through 2019 distributions from the real estate investments to the company averaged nearly $20 per share. In 2020 due some sales, distributions were an unusually high $66.76 per share. They also have cash and securities with a market value equal to $103 per share, although they have not accrued taxes on unrealized securities gains. Essentially for the $275 per share we paid, we were getting $50 per share in cash, $50 in securities, and real estate that should throw off $20 or more per share annually, plus future price appreciation of the apartment complexes. Hopefully it doesn't take 15 years for another block of shares to become available. As much as we are willing to take short-term gains like 1847 Gettiker, we love to find long-term holdings like mortgage oil that can compound in excess of 10% per year. Of course, at the right price we would sell it today. Update on our top 5 portfolio holdings as of June 2021. Solotron Devices, SODI, where I am the CEO. The bid price for shares rose 22% in the quarter from $7 per share to $8.51. During the quarter, Solotron filed its audited financials for fiscal 2021, year ended February 28, 2021. For fiscal 2021 net income was $0.67 cents per share versus a loss of $0.30 cents per share in fiscal 2020. 
Net sales rose to $10.5 million in fiscal 2021 versus $9.2 million in fiscal 2020. Solitron also announced closing of an agreement to purchase a new building for $4.2 million. Solitron expects to make improvements to the building in order to relocate its existing operations later in the calendar year. Solitron put 25% down and financed the balance at a 3.8% fixed rate. Late in June it was announced that net sales in the May 31, 2021 quarter were 45% higher than the May 31, 2020 quarter. On July 20 we filed our quarterly filing reporting net income of just over $1 million, or $0.49 cents per share, for the May 31, 2021 quarter versus $369,000 or $0.18 cents per share in the May 31, 2020 quarter. Pendrel Corporation, PCOA, bid price increased modestly from $202,000 per share to $204,000 per share in the second quarter. On June 30, the SPAC Pendrel-sponsored, Holicity completed its merger with Astra, ASTR. Astra makes small rockets to send satellites into orbit. Its share price has been quite volatile. Pendrel has 778 shares outstanding per the Markets website. Pendrel owns 6,731,000 shares of Astra and warrants to buy 5,333,333 shares at $11.50 per share. That works out to 8,651 shares and 6,855 warrants of Astra for each Pendrel share. Astra closed the second quarter at $12.35 per share but so far in July has fallen to $9.17 per share. Using the lower $9.17 per share makes the value of the Astra shares equal to $79,337 per Pendrel share, 8,651 shares x $9.17. In the past we used the intrinsic value of the warrants, when the market value better captures the true value. The warrants ended the quarter at $3.70 per warrant and were $3.05 as of today. Using the most recent $3.05 per warrant makes the value of the Astra warrants equal to $20,908 per Pendrel share, 6,855 warrants x $3.05, resulting in a total value for Astra of $100,245 per Pendrel share. We estimate that Pendrel has cash and other investments of roughly $190,000 to $210,000 per share. Therefore, the total value of Pendrel is roughly $300,000 per share. Pendrel brought another SPAC, Colicity, Colu, public as well. Colicity is larger than Holicity so the economics are even better than with Holicity. Should Pendrel find an acceptable acquisition, total value of Pendrel would increase by roughly another $100,000 to $150,000 per share to $400,000 to $450,000 per share. DBM Global, DBMG, bid price decreased from $65 per share to $63 per share in the quarter. DBM is 92% owned by HC2 Holdings, HCHC. DBM Global completed its acquisition of Banker Steel. HC2's SEC filings note that the acquisition is for $145 million. DBM's market cap is roughly twice that, so it appears to be a significant acquisition. In the five years we have owned DBM we have collected almost $26 per share in total dividends, which is not too far below our $32.50 average cost. Farm Chem, PCHM, continues to perform well. The bid price declined slightly in the second quarter from $4.88 per share to $4.85 per share. The company makes a sweat patch to detect drugs. Revenues climbed 20% in 2020 versus 2019. Operating income grew over 31%. Net income climbed 14%. 
Net income growth lagged due to the expiration of net operating losses. The company went from a 1% effective tax rate in 2019 to a 9% effective rate in 2020. The rate will likely be closer to 21% in 2020. Net cash per share increased to $1.34 at the end of 2020. We do have some concerns with the company's management and board. We submitted a nomination to the board in order to improve corporate governance. The current board consists of the CEO, CFO and one outsider. We think the board needs more independence. As part of our nomination, we made a request for management compensation which the company only agreed to send if we signed a non-disclosure agreement. This is interesting since shareholders have a right to the information under Delaware law, which we pointed out to the company, but apparently management doesn't care about compliance with the law or shareholders. To make matters worse we have found out of additional even more serious concerns that will come up during the proxy fight. No Copy Technologies, an NUP, is a new holding. On May 6 Ericsson Capital Management, the managing member of this fund, filed a 13D that we own more than 5% of No Copy. No Copy Market Specialty Reactive Inks in the educational and toy markets. Their rub and color technology can be used for coloring books, activity kits, play sheets, greeting cards, or any paper-based application. It is a very small company. It has four full-time and two part-time employees. In other words, it is almost a royalty company, although they do mix and sell their specialty ink. Currently there are just over 67 million shares outstanding at a price of 20 cents per share, resulting in a market cap of $13.4 million. The company has no debt and cash of just over $1.7 million. Earnings are better than they appear due to revenue recognition rules. When they signed a four-year contract, they booked all the guaranteed revenue in the quarter the deal was signed even though most of it would be paid over the life of the contract. The result is quarterly earnings are about $100,000 more than what is reported. Normalized annual cash flow is roughly $1 million and growing, except due to apparent cost pressures in 2020, and we think the number could be improved. The problem with the company is the board and CEO. The CEO ran an activist campaign to gain control of the board in 2000. The last shareholders meeting was, you guessed it 2000. The guy running an activist campaign basically did all the things he promised not to do. In fact, many of the same people who supported him later filed a 13D against him. He still did nothing. Actually, he changed the bylaws to make it near impossible for shareholders to add a board member and he did give himself a 50% raise. So, we can't say he did nothing. We are still waiting on a return call request from the first week in May after we filed our 13D. I believe over his 20 years of running the company shareholders are still in the red. The company has also filed more Form 5s than we have ever seen. We had to look up what a Form 5 was because we hadn't run across one as a long time. A Form 5 basically is what you file when an insider buys or sells shares and fails to properly report the purchase or sale to the SEC on a Form 4. We believe there are even more omissions in filings. For example, in their 2020 10K director Mark Rash is reported to own 208,333 shares. In the 2021 10K he is reported as having none, yet he did not file any Form 4 noting any sale or gifting of shares, nor a Form 5. Apparently, they magically disappeared. Here is another unbelievable item, the audit committee currently consists of one person, the CEO. That means the CEO is in charge of retaining an auditor to oversee himself and the CFO. At least they admit in their 10K that the CEO is not an audit committee financial expert. It is comforting to know that someone who should not even be in the role of overseeing himself is also not even qualified to be in the role. 
And don't get us started on what appeared to us as improper insider trading by the CEO right before reporting a near 30% drop in earnings in the December 2020 quarter. We purchased most of our shares in April at under 15 cents per share, so we had a 30% gain on the position in the quarter. Stay tuned to see how it turns out. Room for new members and or additional funds. We continue to have more attractive ideas than capital. Thus, there is plenty of room for existing partners to increase their investment and for others to join. Please consider referring friends of yours who may be potential new investors. The basic requirements are 1. That each invests a minimum of $100,000 and 2. That new members are accredited, high net worth, individuals. Subsequent investments must be for a minimum of $10,000. If this letter was passed on to you and you would like to be added to our monthly distribution list, please email me at the email address below. You can find more letters at ericsencapitalmgm.com slash investor letters. Should you have any questions regarding the fund, please don't hesitate to call or email. New address and primer broker. We have a new address. The new address is 8695 Glendale Road, Custer, Washington, 98240. We have updated all our forms, please make sure you request a current form for any additions. We are also in the process of changing prime brokers. We do not generate the trading volume that higher cost prime brokers like to see, so we will be migrating to a new prime broker or multiple brokers. Our current plan is to use both a specialty firm and Schwab, so we can obtain low commission rates on higher volume trades through the discount broker and while still having access to hard to trade securities via the specialty broker. Sincerely, Tim Erickson, Manager Cedar Creek Partners LLC.